holy name, Jesus. Amen. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him, a mighty tempest. If you don't have a favorite psalm yet, you should consider Psalm 50. Psalm 50 doesn't always get the uh, prime billing that the others do. Psalms 1, 23, and 91, um, those are the popular ones. Those are the greeting card ones. But Psalm 50 definitely deserves a place among the best of them. As a man, all men in the world, as we careen headlong into the end of the world, either by fire or ice, Destruction is certainly headed our way, and trouble is certain. And that's not to say that there's like nothing good coming for you either. But at the end of our lives, whether we lived richly or whether we lived poorly, there is still the same result. The same thing happens. And whether you are wrapped in a shroud and placed into a hole in the ground, or whether you are encased in a gold-plated locking casket, the result is the same. This world and you are headed the same way, to death and trouble. So the day of the Lord then will come burning like an oven. Now, it's notable that the day of the Lord comes like an oven and and not a flamethrower, Uh, For the day of the Lord is coming like a constructive fire. And instead of just purely destroying things, it changes them. The day of the Lord will come. And on that day, our lowly bodies, our whole entire selves, our world, all of creation, everything that he has brought into being will be changed will be refined. Just like gold is refined. Or like bread. Who would want to eat a loaf of unbaked bread? Not me. Just a mass of dough sitting there on the counter. Who wants that? But if you put that dough in the oven, it will be destroyed. Yes, it won't be like it was before. But what emerges from the oven is beautiful, wonderful. And so it will be for you. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And when he is raised from the dead, no one recognizes him. Remember this. Mary is there at the tomb and she says, who are you? Are you the gardener? What would you do with Jesus? Uh, Why is that? They don't recognize him. And even after seeing Jesus several times, they still don't really know. They're like, oh, okay, you look a little bit familiar. But they still have to figure it out. He had no beauty or majesty that we should admire him or be drawn to him. So much of your life is just some beauty pageant and popularity contest. And Jesus would have failed them all. Indeed, he did. 
And now he is raised from the dead, glorified, beautiful, perfected. And that is what shall be for all who are baptized into the cross, the death and the resurrection of Jesus too. You limp and hobble now, but Malachi says that you will go out leaping like calves from the stalls. And on that day you will see truth. On that day you will tread down the wicked beneath your feet and they will be ashes under the soles of your leaping feet. So how should we feel about this end, the end of the world, which is really just the beginning, which is really the birth and the refinement of ourselves in our whole entire world? Well, Jesus says, straighten up and raise your heads. Because your redemption is drawing near, your salvation is coming, your Lord is coming. And so, yes, Hosanna to the Son of David, save us now. And he doesn't need anything from you. He has it all. If he was hungry, he would not tell you. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. He does not need your help, not in the slightest. See what, tries, what, what happens when the disciples try to help out the Lord in the Gospels. What happens so many times? Wow, we can't have these children around. Get rid of the children. What happens when the disciples try to help? Oh, well... Uh, these people are irritating the Lord. He's too busy for them. Let's get rid of our uh, disabled friends and friends who are maybe of the wrong ethnicity or skin color. Let's just get rid of these people. Hmm. The disciples tried to help Jesus. And instead they turned their backs on him and betrayed him refuse to even acknowledge that they know him. And what happened to Jesus? Like, did it not work? Was he like, well, I guess it didn't work. I'm just going to go home. Well, no. He is rejected. And instead of moping about it, he goes on and accomplishes the salvation of the whole entire world on the cross, and he is raised from the dead. You cannot keep him down. We bring nothing to salvation. It is pure gift. Just like the calves that go out leaping from the stalls, they brought nothing to their own birth either but themselves. So, do we do nothing then because the Lord doesn't need our help? The Lord doesn't need your cattle. Does he drink the blood of goats? No. I don't even know who does that. It's not something I'm interested in. But there it is. He doesn't need anything from us. Sometimes people who are new to Lutheranism or new to 
Christianity that actually preaches the gospel, actually preaches grace and forgiveness of sins. Sometimes they hear this, they're like, well, I don't have to do anything for my salvation. Does that mean I don't have to do anything at all and I can just go on sinning and uh, doing all the bad things that I love doing? Well, no. No. Now, sometimes there's this great pressure to do great things for God. But he has done the greatest of all things already. He is raised from the dead. And he speaks peace to the world and brings this forgiveness to you. Like the big thing is done already. It is finished after all. He has brought life to light in the resurrection. And he has given this to you. And he has baptized you into this. And he feeds you with his raised body and blood. And he speaks these life-giving words to you. The Christian life is one of reception. And the gifts are given in abundance. But you do need one another. And you cannot live this life alone. You are not alone. You do have to support one another. God wouldn't tell you if he was hungry. But if someone tells you they are hungry, you should feed them. Yes. We've got to support one another. So why do you put your money in the offering plate? Because your church needs you. And it seems foolish to just give your money away, doesn't it? Well, it is, kind of. And that's sort of the point. Because, after all, like, how much more could the people of Israel have done uh, if they would have just kept around... 30% of what they were, uh, 30% of what they had about is what the, the sacrifices were. We think 10% is a lot. If you add up all the Old Testament sacrifices, it ends up being around 30% or so. So 10%, you know, our goal, probably getting off a little bit light there. Shouldn't they have just kept all that stuff for themselves? Well, when the people of Israel come into the land that is being given to them, there's a whole entire tribe that is dependent upon the rest of Israel to survive. Uh, the whole entire tribe of Levi, they don't have land of their own. Instead, they're scattered around the promised land as a constant reminder to everyone that no one is on their own. I think I, I've, I've mentioned this so many times now, but... When I was a child, I thought that the offerings on Sunday morning just got taken out in the back and burned in the parking lot uh, because all I ever knew about was the whole burnt offerings in the Old Testament. And uh, I hate to tell you, that's not what we do with them. Uh, you know. Most of those sacrifices went to feed the priest's families. What happens here, too, just so you know. But I mean, do you really want to keep it all to yourself anyways? Do you really want to stand on the last day and gaze upon your empire turned to ashes? I mean, what good will it do when you lay in a grave next to someone who had nothing? I've never seen a tombstone uh, that says someone's net worth when they died. 
What good will it do when you are set free, leaping for joy on the day of resurrection? For you will be jumping for joy with one another. And this is beauty. There's been a lot of talk about beauty lately. Um, because I think we live in a world that is, we're short on beauty these days. And we live in a world where you can just like have tons and tons of things and stuff. None of it's really beautiful. None of it really endures. Our world is filled with unbeautiful, disposable, ugly things. And how much of our lives could just be discarded plastic stuff. I find it strange that I can use tools that my grandfathers used, but things that I bought recently, they are already broken and they wear out. How long is the phone in your pocket that you're so devoted to going to last you? Another six months or so. That's about it. So I think in the world, we are trying to rediscover what is truly beautiful. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. That is wonderful. That is beautiful. God himself is the perfection of beauty shining forth out of Zion. And what is this? It's nothing more than the Son of God giving his life for ours on a cross. Something that looks so ugly to us is the perfection of beauty. Giving his life for ours, laying his life down for you. That on the day of trouble, that great and magnificent day, we would call out to the Lord who will deliver us from all harm and danger and not only keeping us from the bad things, but delivering us from evil, leading us not into temptation, but into life. Life that cannot fade or wither, but that endures all things. Trouble will come. And you will be delivered. And that is beautiful. Perfect. Amen. Come Lord Jesus.